But with that, I, I'm just going to pray for us and ask God to meet with us and, and kind of through his word, as we think about the Ten Commitments, we'll ask him to talk with us and, and help to encourage us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your purposes and your promises. Your word says that you give us your very great and precious promises so that through them we can participate in your divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through desires. So promises are the way that we are changed so that we can do what you want us to do and not do what you don't want us to do. So thank you for new covenant promises and for the commitments that rise from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Come to the last of the commitments. It kind of brings us to the place where we think about we're all looking for the same thing. I think not just us here and those of us who are joining virtually, but I think across the planet, we're all basically looking for the same thing. We look in different places. We employ different means. But we're all looking for contentment. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. God gives you the power to be content. When we think about contentment, I think there's a difference between being pleased and being content. And when you think about what's involved in being pleased, you know, when we have what we want to have, then we're pleased. When we do what we want to do, that pleases us. When we think what we want to think, that pleases us. And when we feel what we want to feel, that's pleasing to us as well. Um, being pleased means that our wants are met. But being content doesn't necessarily mean that our wants are met. It does mean that our needs are met. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is about the, the, the desire, the need to be pleased. And what Paul is saying, contentment can settle for a little less than that. But contentment is challenging. It's something that everybody's looking. Let's talk about that this morning. Let's talk about how we find and experience the power to be content. One thing about contentment is that you can be content in places where you can't be pleased. For instance, Paul writes a letter, and he is in prison at the time. And it's not possible. It may be possible for a period of time, but not ongoing. If you're in prison, you're not going to be pleased. But here's what Paul talks about, though. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and again, he's writing from prison. And this is what he says. I have learned to be content. Again, writing from prison, 
Learn to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. As this pandemic continues to erode our ability to connect with others, for some of us, for some, it, it erodes the ability to put food on the table. It's not possible to really be pleased with something like this as it goes on and on and on. Paul probably would understand that. He was in prison when he wrote this, but he talked about the ability to find the ability to be content. The word content, when Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content, content has the sense of enough. Enough. It, they, and when he writes, he writes to individuals who had sent him an offering, a gift, because they learned that he was in prison and they wanted to help. And so he wants them to know that while he appreciates their gift, he tells them that he is appreciative of it, but not dependent on it, because he has learned the secret of having enough, even when what he has is not necessarily what he'd want to have, but he can be content with receiving what he needs to have. How do we experience the power to be content? What is the secret that Paul discovered? Before we think about the secret of being content, let's talk about the power of discontentment. Sometimes the best way to understand something is to look at its opposite. Let's think about discontentment. And here's what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a good question, isn't it? Especially in the political season that we find ourselves in. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And James answers the question, Jesus' half-brother, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The Christian's James was writing to were being torn apart by conflict. And it was within the house churches where they were meeting. The church in James' day, in Jesus' day, Paul's day, they met in homes and there were small house churches and the, the, the individuals James is writing to primarily were Jewish Christians gathered in different house churches. And these house churches are experienced a lot of competition and conflict between each other. He asks a great question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And I would imagine they had an easy answer. Well, it's his fault, her fault, their fault. Here's what James says. He says that the problem is within them not between them. The problem that exists in the conflict between them, really, James says, was about the conflict within them. It involves craving, contempt, and conflict. You might think of it like a whirlpool. 
Craving leads to contempt, leads to conflict. And the faster it spins, the more difficult it is to get out of it. It begins with craving. James says you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. The word covet really just means to crave or to want something. It's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but something you want intensely. What James says, the, the problem that begins it begins with craving or coveting. We crave what we want. We crave what will please us. And what James says is that's where the conflict begins. That's kind of at the root of the conflict. Craving is where things begin. I want this. I want that. I can't do without that. Then craving, James goes on, leads to contempt. Um, When our attempts to get what we crave are blocked, we blame someone and we feel sour towards that person. If it's another person, we feel sour and contemptuous of them. Or some of us blame ourselves. We feel contemptuous about ourselves. Um, James writes, do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. That word envies intensely, we've talked about it before. There's a couple different kinds of envy in the Bible. One is simple, one's infected. Simple envy is, I just want what you have. So you have something that I want, you have a car I want, you have clothes I want, you have something that I want, you have health that I want. And what simple envy is, I want what you have. And I want you to imagine then if that envy is allowed to kind of sit there and it becomes something else after a period of time. If you want something bad enough, and somebody's blocking the way, something's going to happen with that simple envy. It's going to become something else. I'm not going to want what you have. I'm going to want you to suffer for having something I want to have. That's what James talks about. That's intense envy. And what James talks about, the issue is we have craving. We want something. But what ends up happening when our ability to get what we want is frustrated, it doesn't just stay at simple envy. Then it becomes something else. We start to develop an attitude, not just of simple envy, but intense envy. I want to hurt you for having something I want. Again, if you think about it, we've talked about it before. Think of Cain and Abel. They both bring offerings to God wanting him to accept that offering. And so Cain and Abel present their offerings, and um, Abel's is accepted. God says, okay, and Cain's isn't. Let's stop it right there. Let's stop them. They've offered the thing. God says to Abel, yes, to Cain, no. If we stopped it and interviewed them at that point, interviewed Cain, would say, Cain, what do you want? I want my offering to be accepted. That's what I want. But let's let them sit there for a while. Let's let Abel continue to experience he accepted my offering. And let's let Cain kind of think about that. Look at his brother. And something 
begins to sour. It's a little bit like a mosquito bite. You know, we, we're not in mosquito bite season, but you can get a mosquito bite. And then you know what happens when you... And we hit it, then becomes something else. Becomes You can get it infected. That's another way to think about contempt. It's infected envy. And let's think about Cain, and he thinks about his brother, and he thinks, and it ends up becoming a murderous rage. That's contempt. Um, there's craving and contempt, and craving and contempt lead to conflict. Like between Cain and Abel. Well, like between Republicans and Democrats and Democrats and Republicans, and we want what we want, and there's things. And so it, this is something that we deal with. This is, this is something that challenges the ability to be content, craving, contempt, conflict. When we are stuck in the craving, contempt, conflict whirlpool, it is almost impossible to be content. It just goes too fast. We find ourselves reacting to things that we want and resenting people. We resent people who get in our way. We can channel this conflict. Some of us, we channel the conflict towards others, outside of ourselves. We blame others and we point the fingers at other people. Some of us don't blame others. We blame ourselves. We point the finger inside. But whether we pour the contempt externally or internally... Discontentment gets in the problem of experiencing contentment. Where can we find the power to be content? What we need to understand is what a problem, what kind of problem we're dealing with. The problem of discontentment cannot be solved by willpower. It's too deeply rooted. Here's what James says. Do you think scripture says in James 4, 5, it's a really provocative verse, says, do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. It seems to suggest that our need to have what we want and to fight if we don't get it, that's kind of hardwired in us by God, which means you're not just going to pull that up by the roots. We need to experience something from God in order to overcome something put in us by him. We need a divine solution if we're going to be able to deal with the whirlpool of craving, contempt, and conflict, and the discontentment that it causes. Paul's prison wisdom gives us some direction. In that letter, when he's writing from prison, Paul talks about something he learned about dealing with life and dealing with things that he wanted. Imagine Paul languishing in prison. Now, again, if you're in prison in those days, he's not giddy, you're not laughing, but there's a contentment about him. And if we were to ask him, Paul, how in the world can you be as content as you are? Now, obviously, you would like to be other places if you could, but I don't think Paul was caught up in craving and contempt and conflict. He wasn't 
in that whirlpool. How? How could he do that? This is what he ends up saying in Philippians 4, in that passage where he is describing, I've learned the, the secret of being content. Here's what he says. Don't, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In order to deal with craving, contempt, and conflict, I'm going to suggest that what Paul would tell us to do is present, ponder, and repeat. Present, ponder, and repeat. He talks, present. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When we think about don't be anxious, anxiety literally is having a divided mind. That's the word anxiety is a word that comes from the Greek word for divided and the Greek word for thought, divided thoughts. Anxiety is about, I want to be doing two things at the same time. I want different things. So I want you to remember, remember Mary and Martha? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet in Luke, and she is learning from him. And Martha is in the kitchen preparing the meal. But she'd like to be at Jesus' feet as well. But she needs to be in the kitchen because she has to cook the food, but she'd like to be at Jesus' feet. So she, she is in the kitchen, frism, frism, rism, frism, rism, frism, rism, you know, trying to think about why doesn't Mary help me? And so we would see Martha is anxious. She wants to cook the food, but she also wants to be at Jesus' feet. And she wants two things. That's what anxiety is about. It's, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. I want to be there. I, it's, we feel anxious when we're stuck. We feel stuck. Really can't get what we want. That's where, um, that's what anxiety is about. And what Paul talks about is, how do you deal with that? He tells, he talks about, present your requests to God. Now, this is really important. When you present your request to God, he does not promise that we get what we want. He does promise that we get what we need. Listen to what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Tell God what you want. And sometimes we want different things. God, I want to be in the kitchen and I want to be at your feet. And what he says, present your request. And how could God get, well, you know what he says? And it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. You know what he promises that we can receive from him? Peace. When you think about that peace, peace is not a feeling. Peace in the context 
will guard your heart and mind. It has the sense of erecting a protective perimeter around your mind. Think not of think about UN peacekeeping forces. And think about a compound that is being attacked by individuals and a UN peacekeeping contingent forms a perimeter to keep those who would destroy the people inside outside. That's the image here. Peace is not Oh, what a nice feeling. It has the sense of something that can create a, enough of a barrier or perimeter that our minds are not besieged. That's the sense it has. Present your request to God, and God will gradually develop an ability to allow you not to be inundated and besieged by all these what-if, oh-no, what-if-oh-no thoughts present. Um, Then, after presenting, that comes first. God really does want us to express our desires to him. He doesn't want us to just fix it. He wants us to learn to express it to him and tells us, if you express your desires, then what he promises, he will give his peace to you, which kind of is powerful enough to start to direct our thoughts. Then he ponder, here's what he says right after that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you present your request to him and he gives you peace, then from there he says, now ponder. Ponder the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise. Ponder these things. Think about these things. You don't do this in order to quiet yourself down. I want to be careful here. What God says, I want to know what it is you need and want. So tell me about that. That comes first. Present. Then after you present, ponder. And a good thing to ponder are promises. Promises are really good. For instance, in Romans 8, 28, um, it says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 is a really good verse, if you can memorize. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to your purpose. So you present, and then you start to ponder, thinking about, you know, God, you say, in all things you work for the good to those who love you who have been called according to your purpose. Romans 8.28, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with us freely give us all things? That's really, it's a question. If God was willing to send his son, is God withholding good from you? No, if he was holding good from you, he withheld his son. Present, ponder, um, and it'd be nice if this could fix our mindset. You know, the problem is if you do that today and you wake up tomorrow morning, guess what? There's the thoughts again. You don't bring them to your mind. They're there. You wake up and you think of, oh, what if? Oh, no, what if? And, and so we have to repeat, repeat, present, ponder, repeat. Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard, from me or seen, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Present, ponder, repeat is not something that's simple to learn. 
It takes time. Thinking about God's commitments is very helpful. The fact that he sees you, he sympathizes with you, he deals gently with you, and he loves you, he changes you, he chooses you. Good is ahead of you, good is guaranteed. He gives you the power to persevere and the power to be content. You think about that, and then you start to put that into practice. How do you do that? We're dealing with craving, contempt, and conflict. How am I going to get out of this whirlpool? Present, ponder, and repeat. Be mindful of what you want. Think about them. Tell it to him. God, I want this and that. And I ask that you would give me your peace. It might not give me what I want. It'll give me what I need. Your peace will protect my heart. Present, ponder. Think about the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely. Now, again, don't think, don't use that as an excuse to not tell him. He really does want us to talk to him. So talk to him first, then think about the things and think about verses and then repeat, knowing that this is something you're going to have to do on an ongoing basis. The secret of being content in any and every situation, contentment doesn't come from stuff. It doesn't come from stuff. It comes from strength. And uh, in the best of circumstances, contentment is elusive. It's one thing to be content because we have what we want. You know what Paul's talking about? What's better than a contentment that comes when you have what you want? How about this? A contentment that's available when you don't have what you want. That's something. That's something. And that's what Paul talks about. In order to cope with the whirlpool of craving, contempt, and conflict, Paul encourages us to cultivate the capacity. And again, work at it. This is not, this is not developed overnight. It's like a muscle. It grows with exercise. So start in, think about it, and don't get frustrated. It's, it's not easy to talk to God and tell him what we need. And I'm from personal experience. But over time, little by little, it's a little easier present, ponder, and repeat. Let me pray for us. God, we, we deal with frustrated desires and unmet needs. That's just the truth. And we also deal with a deep resentment and contempt because that's true. That's something you've hardwired into us. And it's not something that we can just make go away. It takes a divine solution. It takes your peace to guard our heart and mind. And that's why you tell us to present. It takes promises for us to think about your promises. That's why you want us to ponder. And it takes doing it on a daily basis. We can't solve problems next week's problems today. We're going to have to continue to present, ponder, and repeat on a regular basis. Thanks for that. Thank you for the power to be content. Pray that you teach us how to experience it. In Jesus' name, amen.